Good morning, New Spring. So glad you're all here, and I hope you take the opportunity to get involved with Judgment House this year. Um, We have an opportunity to touch a whole lot of lives in a very short period of time, so I hope you'll take the opportunity to get involved with that. Now, sitting next to me here is a guy that most of you probably recognize, maybe a few of you don't. This is Pastor Rick. Uh, Rick Hopper um, oversees, he's the pastor of our junior high ministry, but he also has a massive job overseeing the connection group ministry of the church. Um, But I have him with me here because we're going to just talk a little bit um, and make sure that everybody knows about our awesome junior high ministry um, and so, Rick, just kind of give me a Google Earth view here of what 628 is all about. Well, first, I'd like to give you greetings from, to the big church from 628, us little people in the other building. So thank you for letting us, allowing us to come to you and be here in front of you. Okay, I can't do that. Hey, uh, you guys are all reserved and all that stuff, but 628 is a wild, crazy time. It is for 6th through 8th grade, and it's creating an environment specifically for them. We meet over here. In the, uh, in the other building, the east building, we meet at 5 o'clock on Saturday nights or 6.30 on Sunday mornings. Awesome. 9.30. Wow. Nobody's here at 6. Come at 6.30. That, w- that would be a very committed group this there. Is, this, you guys do this too many times. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so we have, we have four weekend worship experiences, obviously. Um, but junior high only meets uh, two times on a weekend. And so kind of the question, why, why the difference between the four times and the two times? Well, first of all, I just proved it. I'm an old man and I can't. How do you do this anyway? Okay. Uh, okay. We do it two times because here's the deal. Kids' world was getting your kids to want to go to church. I want to go. I want to go to church. And many of you even said, wow, they wake us up and want to go. You know, and I, you want to go too, I know. But they want, they want to go to church, and it's all excited about going. But now we need to say, okay, in that time in their life, they need something to belong to. So now we're switching over from somewhere to go to somewhere to belong to. We're creating a youth group environment. So we do it at 5 o'clock and we have the most amount of people there at 5. We do it at 9.30 on Sunday so we have the most amount of people. And we have consistency. You have the same people at 5 o'clock, the same leaders, the same table, the same kids at that table so they can interact and have that that peer-to-peer relationship as well as the teacher, as well as the speaker. So, so we think it's real important just to create that youth group environment. Mm. So you, it's kind of like a community feel. You've got that consistent, it's the That's same the whole folks. Thing. And yeah, I, you said I'm in groups, but we really feel that it's important to have those groups. Because here's the deal, guys. You know, in, in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, that's when your kids are developing those outside peers, those outside things they're looking to, to listen to. Whether you want them to or not, they are making connections. And, and, and it's your choice. They can make connections on Facebook or through some sports team or through school or kids down the street, or they can make those connections that they listen to at, at, at New Spring and with, with kids that hopefully are, are making the same connections and trying to strive to have the same goals in their life. And they'll have the leaders. They have that same mentor at that table to, to, to talk to and, and to get to know and to ask questions to because whether we like it or not, our kids look for outside influences. Mm-hmm. And you get to direct those outside influences by showing that it's important to you that they come and that they're involved in a youth group environment, which we create at those two times. Awesome. Well, one of the things sometimes that we talk about is we have such a great uh, worship experience here that, you know, we, the, the music is awesome. The, the, you know, the teaching is relevant. A lot of times folks feel like maybe this is, you know, the only thing that's, that's necessary. I mean, but there's something they'd be missing if, you know, if they don't make the trek across the parking lot. So can you tell me kind of what, what do you miss out on if you don't go and, and, and participate in that? You miss out on a full and eventful and wonderful life. Okay. No. Uh, okay, here's the deal. Uh, whoa. Uh, okay, Mark always tells you guys a football analogy, right? Because he knows football. Whoa, does he? But anyway, okay, so I figure I'll tell you something that I know. Food. 
Okay. <laughs> All right, so you may not get this, but uh, here's the deal. <laughs> Remind me to have you and Lance over for dinner some night. I'll teach you. So uh, let's pretend this is a dinner, right? And you're eating steak and lobster. Steak and lobster, wow. You know, who, who would think there's a church in Wichita that's serving steak and lobster every week? I mean, without a doubt, the best prime rib you ever had, the best lobster. You can decide which one's Mark, which one's Lance. I don't, you know, that's your deal. But steak and lobster. And, and, oh, I want my kids to eat that. But, but, but think for a minute. Help me out. Is that really what your kids need? Steak and lobster is good, but it's not meant for them. It costs too much, first of all. But, no, uh, here's the deal. You, you, you invite some junior high kids over to your house, and you say, well, we're having steak and lobster at the dining room table with the adults. Would you like to join us and enjoy our conversation and learn a lot? Or would you say, you want to go to the basement with some other junior high kids and have pizza? You tell me how many are at your table, okay? Yeah, there's a weird kid or two. I know that, but uh, we're too big to not have them. But, uh, but man, they're going to be in the basement. You know why? They need to get that pizza. They need something they can grab onto, something they can shove in their face. They need mac and cheese. They need the stuff that's messy, but they can get all over them, but they can enjoy it. And they can enjoy it with friends and, and get that environment. It's all about the environment and who they're doing it with, guys. And I, I just can't. You know, here's the deal, John. We, we sit in the staff meetings and stuff, and we hear them prepping for, for, for big church, okay? And they never once say, well, how's this going to relate to a junior high kid or, or a kids' world kid or something like that? That, that never comes up. It's always, how's it going to relate to the adults? It's, it's geared to them. Dan and I, that's all we do is, how's it going to gear towards a junior high kid? How's it going to gear mm-hmm. towards a kids' world? That, that's it's the focus. So why wouldn't you want to put them in the best environment for them? Mm-hmm. Now, I, 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 never, I forgot to tell this all the weeks, but, you know, next week, Mark starts the shh. Okay, and shh, it's not because he's going to be loud, okay? The, the next week's sermon series is because it really is not for kids. So that's even more reason that, that they design stuff for you, not for the kids. We design stuff for the kids, so why wouldn't you? It's not a question of what's good and what's great. It's what's best for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, and maybe I'm too passionate, but sorry. <laughs> You're not too passionate. Okay. You're awesome. Hey, um, I know that you're dying to tell me what all you got coming up, so hit me with it. What you got coming up quick? Okay, here's the cool thing. See, we're creating that youth group environment. Well, the youth group needs to come every week to the environment, but then you do stuff every month as, as a bonus, okay, as, as, as that little extra thing. So this, this month, last month we took them all to, to uh, Oklahoma, floated down the Illinois River, had a great time on an overnight float trip. This month we have... September the 10th, that's this Friday night, strobe light, pillow fight, gut bomb night. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we travel around all the fast food restaurants here locally. Okay. I know. And we, we eat something at every restaurant. And then we get back here. They brought their pillows. And we have strobe lights, fog. We have pillow fights and gut bombs, trash cans, whatever we need. But we're going to have a blast. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you know a junior high kid... Get them involved. They sign up online for this Friday night's activity, or you can even go back to the store and sign them up. It does cost $5 to help me pay for all the, the food and stuff we're doing, but, but it'll be the greatest time they've had, and it helps them to connect. That's when they connect and make this community that you talked about mm-hmm. with other peers and with their leaders. Their leaders will all be there to have fun and engage so that they can break down some of those barriers that we have. In October, wait a minute, first of all, how many guys want to help me with the gut bomb night thing? Yeah, okay, all right, thanks. Now, I'll remember that. Now, our next, our, in October, we do this one. This one happens every week in our regular session. It's called Chalktoberfest. All right? Every game, every event, everything we do has to do with chocolate. It's all, how many ladies want to help join? Yeah, okay. All right, photographic memory here. I know every one of you. All right, I'll look at the sign-ups on Tuesday morning. 
Anyway, so that's, that's the whole month of October, just to engage them. And then in November, we, we're doing a thing called uh, Operation uh, Turkey Hunt. I'll bring them all. You, they all come out to my house, uh, living out in the country. We'll do the, the, all those fun games where you tie feathers on the back of the kids we don't like and shoot them. And, uh, no, no, we don't have real guns. Uh, but, or we do the, uh, you know, dunking kids, bobbing kids for apples and, and stuff like that. Uh, so just, you know, weenie roasts and, and fires and, and pumpkin cart, all the fun stuff. So it's, it's all about engaging the kids, guys. And if they're not there, they don't get engaged. They look somewhere else to make those connections because they will make the connections. It's your choice. Either make them here in an environment that's geared for them with kids that are doing the same thing or not. Sorry. Well, awesome, Rick. Can we let Rick know how much we appreciate his ministry? Thanks for becoming a big church. I've told every group so far, sixth grade through eighth grade, that's a very brave man. Uh, it, takes a, it takes a lot, and, and uh, I think, you know, uh, your average junior hire has met their match there. He's a, he's a really awesome junior high pastor. We're, this morning, though, I want to I talk to you. And quickly, let me just say this um, and it, as kind of a preface to what I'm going to say today. And that is, we have the absolute most awesome, most terrific, best series coming up starting next week that you have ever been to yet at New Spring. You won't want to miss one week. You want to be here every single time. It's going to be the greatest we're going to talk about. In fact, there's these mini invites out there, probably one of the coolest mini invites we've done. They're out there. Please take some and, and tell your friends about them. We're going to be talking about the very difficult things um, in family and marriage and, and, and with kids and so forth. But even if you don't have a family, you still want to be here. It's going to be a, a, an awesome, awesome uh, time talking about that. But as, as a pretext to that, I just want to just be a real informal talk this morning. I just want to kind of talk with you from my heart about something that I see a lot um, in ministry. And that is, you know, I think that I see that a lot of us are living with a reality that we don't really want to talk about. Um, when I talk to people about things that, that are going on in their lives and struggles that they're facing, a lot of times I find that I'm talking to someone who's getting kicked around by a bully. I'm not talking about, you know, the kid, the, the kid in first grade that, that won't let you pass until you give him his, you know, your lunch money. I'm talking about things in life that are bullying that person around. Just like when you see a, you know, one child perhaps bullying another child, you have one that's, that's, that's leveraging their size, leveraging how big they are over another one so that they can push them down and keep them down, keep them running. A lot of us in life, we're experiencing some things that are bigger than we are. And, they, and, and those things are throwing their size around a lot and trying to push us down and keep us down and we can't seem to get past it. I mean, it could be this morning that you're sitting there and right now the bully that's kicking you around um, is, you know, you've got marriage problems of some sort and it's keeping you down and it's keeping you out where you can't, you don't even feel like you can really be yourself. You know, that's one of the big problems with a, with a flesh and blood bully is you, you're really scared to be yourself because you're not, you know, no, no, when this person's going to emerge from the shadows and, and, and push you down. And it's kind of like in, in real life, you know, you don't feel like you can really be yourself because you never know when this thing is going to pop up on the horizon and you're going to have to run for cover. Could be that you're bullied by you know, a sense of, of, of insufficiency. I'm never good enough. I can't, I can't do anything that's good enough for anybody. And I just, I'm always, you know, it could be that you're bullied around by sadness. You know, and, and, and let me just interrupt by saying, you know, I think there's a lot of things in life that we feel like we can hold our own with. You know, 
being a, being a good dad, well, I'm, I'm at least giving that my best shot. I feel pretty comfortable. Um, you know, trying to be a, a, um, a good employee, I, you know, I feel like you know, I'm doing okay there. It, there's several things in life we feel like we can do a, a fairly good job at, but it's these one or two things, and they show up on the horizon, and we just want to run and hide. Could be that, that, that you're bullied by fear. Could be that there's just, you, you have a sense of, of being afraid in situations and, and, and you just, every time that fear comes up on the horizon, you feel like you're put it back in a box. You got to run. I think we're embarrassed, you know, to talk about it. We don't want to, you know, not everybody wants to talk about the thing that's kicking their tail in life. A lot of us don't really want to go right there and talk about the things that are the most difficult. You know, to, to the average person who would try to evaluate us, you know, I mean, they don't think of us as, as dealing with a bully. They think of us as being all grown up, successful, sharp, good looking person. But that person feels like they're walking around life with a big kick me sign on their back. And all the time they feel like the, you know, they're just dealing with enemies they can't see that are kicking them down and putting them in their place. They're always running away from it. And it's really difficult for me as I would talk to people who are struggling with these sorts of things because one of my overall premises that I just want to toss out there is I don't believe God wants us to be bullied by anything. I don't believe God, I don't think God wants to see things keeping us down and keeping us running for cover. I don't think that God wants that. And so as I would hear people talk to me about the things they were going through in their life, I would think God must have a way for us to get past this. God must have a way for us to, to, to defeat the, the bullies in our lives. And so I began to do kind of a study, looking for stories about how God helped people to fight their bullies and looking for information about how can we, what, what is it that we're really fighting against and how do we get how do we get victory in our lives? So if you'll just hang tight with me for the rest of, of, of a short period of time this morning, we're going to talk about how do you handle uh, a bully in your life. And I want to give you a story from the Bible. Now, and, and before I even go here, I want to say that it could be that you're thinking that this might not work for you because you might be saying, Jonathan, I, I got to be honest with you. The bully in my life, yeah, I probably brought it on. You know, I probably did something that caused this, you know, I mean, cause and effect. I probably, you know, maybe you're dealing with some consequences of something that you did that was a result of some bad choices that you made. You know, Jonathan, this message is probably not for me because the things that I'm struggling with are things that I probably caused. Let me tell you, the story we're going to talk about is perfect then because the story we're going to talk about is, is some people that were being bullied around in the Bible, but it was their fault. They had been doing, they had not, they'd chosen not to follow God, and so they ended up in trouble. This is what happened with God's people in the Old Testament. They would choose not to follow God, they'd get in terrible trouble, and they'd pray to the Lord and say, Lord, please help us, and he'd help them, and they'd, get, they'd do all right for a little bit, and then they'd forget about them, and, and they'd go down, and, and, and they'd forget about God, and they'd end up in trouble, and they'd ask for God's help again. This is, what we're, this is what we're looking at. So, hey, it was their fault. There's no question that this was their fault. Let me read to you what was going on. This is in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 2. Now the Midianites, now these are the bullies. These are the people that were, uh, this is another people group trying to keep the Israelites down. Were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys, These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. 
And then the Israelites crowd out, cried out to the Lord for help. So here's what's going on. You got God's people. They're not, not necessarily picking a fight with anybody. They're really not doing anything specifically wrong. Um, but they would plant their crops. You know, they would raise it. I mean, they're farmers. They're raising animals. And, and, and this was the way that they, you know, this was their livelihood. And what would happen is these guys were bigger than them, a lot more of them than there were of the Israelites. Whenever the crops would end up growing up, these guys would show up on the scene, destroy the crops, take all the animals, and, and leave them with nothing. And in fact, uh, well, this is one of those things that, that I think is really interesting. When we read this story, you see that these people had learned how to live with a bully. Now, a lot of us in life, we do the same thing. We're struggling with something. We've got something big on the horizon. It's bigger than us. It's causing us trouble. It's kicking us around. It's keeping us down. But what we think is, um, you're not going to beat it. So the thing to do is just learn to live with it. Maybe you're in that position or somebody you know is in that position. They've just decided, might as well learn to live with the bully. That's probably the best thing to do. And Israel learned to do two things with this bully. And these are the two things, if you decide to live with the bully, these are the two things you have to do. Um, it's not difficult. You will figure it out. You have to do these two things. If you're going to live with a bully, number one, you have to hide. Did you notice there in that first verse, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the caves, any place they could construct some sort of hiding place um, because they had to run and hide whenever the bully showed up. And, and, And if you decide to live with a bully, you will have to run and hide. Second thing is they learned to pay. Notice that what would happen is the Israelites would run into the hiding places and then they would just let the Midianites just take it, just, just take it, you know, and as soon as they'll leave, when we can come back out. And see, here's the deal. We learn in life to pay, you know, just let it, just let it happen. Just, I, I can't beat it. Just let it do what it's going to do. We'll come out of hiding as soon as it goes away. And we learn to hide from the bully. We learn to pay the bully, but this is what the Israelites learn. And this is what a lot of us have learned in life. And that is that a bully that you hide from and a bully that you pay off is a bully that doesn't go away. And the thing is, at some point, you eventually have to face it. And that's what happened with the Israelites. They, they just got tired of hiding and they got tired of paying. I don't know, maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you have a bully in your life. It could be that you're tired of hiding and you're tired of paying. So then what do you do? Well, they cried out to God. Because they knew Midian was bigger than they were. So they knew that they needed God's help. And so God picked a leader. Now, I wish I had the opportunity and the time this morning to talk with you about this entire story. There's a whole lot of information in the Bible in this story. If you get an opportunity, you definitely want to read it. We could probably take a series and just talk about all the, the things that happened in this story. I'm going to, if you'll allow me to, I'm just going to focus on a very narrow window of, of what happened in this story. But God recruited a leader. Um, and the leader that he recruited's name was, was Gideon. And at this point, Gideon has to start the biggest recruiting campaign uh, army recruiting campaign ever. In fact, I brought a little board with me this morning so we can crunch some numbers. I mean, you think, you think Uncle Sam needs you now. Let me tell you about what, what they had going on at this point in time. The bad guys, now these are the Midianites, the bad guys. They had at least 135,000 warriors, at least 135,000. We don't know how many, but that's, that's a good start. And so Gideon's got to recruit an army to go up against these 135,000 guys. And so you got to ask yourself, you know, if you're in any kind of a recruiting campaign, what's my base? Who am I recruiting from? Well, he's recruiting from Israel. Um, Technically, any able-bodied guy in any of the tribes that weren't currently occupied by Midian could have gone and and, and fight against uh, these 135,000 guys. Now, Israel's smaller than Midian, but I think Gideon's hoping for a good showing, and he really actually got a a, a pretty good one. 
but I think what the interesting thing about this is, and I, w- I want you to really, t- if you take something home today, I want you to think about this. And that is, when it comes to fighting a bully, if, if God is going to do it, if God is going to fight the bully, not everybody will meet the requirements to fight. Not everybody will meet the requirements. And so when, when Gideon put out the call, not everybody came. There were some guys who could have showed up and didn't show up. And in fact, the number was, was 32,000, actually, guys that actually showed up. So if you crunch the numbers, um, you'll learn that, that there were some guys that could have come, but, but they didn't. Now, this represents the first cut here. And the interesting thing about it is, if you're going to fight a bully in your life, if you're going to get victory over a bully, if you're going to, you know, end up winning this situation, the first step is you have to show up. You got to show up. An absent person doesn't get to make the cut. A lot of us in life, well, and, and the thing about it is, you got to ask yourself, what was, what was it that, that, that changed this? Why did these guys, you know, these guys showed up and some others didn't. Why did those other guys not, not show up? Because a lot of us in life, when we're dealing with a bully, we just choose not, not to show up. I think some of them might have thought this was kind of a manageable problem, or maybe it might just go away. You know, it's kind of hope against hope, right? But, you know, maybe, maybe this is just a phase, you know, maybe the guys are going to come and they'll get tired of, of messing us over and they'll get tired of taking our stuff. Maybe, maybe after a while, maybe they'll just decide to go pick on somebody else. Yeah, I know we fight a lot right now. I know we're having huge arguments and I know that things are just really crazy. But you know what? Maybe it'll just go away on its own. You know, maybe it's just a tough year for our family. Maybe things are really difficult. Maybe it'll just go away. You know, just hang in there right now and we'll see what happens. Or, or maybe, maybe, you know, the, this, this, this sense of sadness that's coming in my life that I can't seem to deal with. Maybe, maybe this is just because it's 2010, and maybe in 2011 I won't have it. Who knows? Life is a weird thing. And so maybe I'll just sit it out and see what happens. And then we don't, we don't show up. You know, it could be that these guys thought, you know, just go ahead and let these guys fight their battles for them. The 32,000 could be. But, you know, I, I think probably the biggest argument, and I think probably the reason most of the guys that didn't show up chose not to show up, is that they figured they were going to lose. I mean, 32,000, 135,000, I mean, that's not a, that's, that's, that's not a, not a, you know, doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out the odds are pretty bad there. And so they just don't bother to, to show up. In fact, I was Telling the last service that, um, do you remember how back in, I guess it was maybe the late 80s, early 90s, McDonald's started doing these deals where you'd get a cup at, at, at McDonald's and, and there would be a tab on it and you would pull it and, you know, win a Corvette or something. I don't remember what. It was. You know, you collect the tabs and win something big. And, and, and it, this was actually a point of, 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 of concern for me because, you know, I was whatever I was back then. I was a little kid. And so my dad was, was you know, he was paying at McDonald's. So I was worried if I got a cup that ended up having the winning game piece on it, and I won like, you know, $100,000 or a car or something, you know, I figured I would probably have to split it with my dad because my dad had paid for the drink, you know. It was a real issue of concern for me, and I think I drove my parents crazy talking about all of this and worrying about all of this. And so my dad at some point decided, you know, that he was going to lovingly, uh, in a good-hearted spirit, talk with me about the concept of odds. And so he takes me over to the little placard at McDonald's that says, what your chances of actually winning one of these contests are. I don't know what it is, 10 to the 80th or something like that. Um, 
And so what's funny is later on in life, in college, I remember going to McDonald's with some friends of mine, and, and McDonald's was once again doing one of these things. It seems like kind of circular. They do them from time to time. And uh, my friends were all goofing off, playing around, pulling the tabs off their cups. And they asked me, you know, Hoover, why aren't you pulling the tabs off, off of your cup? I said, guys, let's walk over here to this board that talks about odds. Apparently your dad didn't tell you what mine did, and I'll help you out, you know. But the thing was, I had just quit playing. You know, the odds are too great. So why, and, and you know what? I think when it comes to um, soft drink cups at McDonald's, that's probably a fair thing. But when it starts being about your life, it's a different thing. Because we serve a God who could care less about the odds. In fact, our God actually works best against the odds. But you can't afford to just quit trying. I think that's what, what happened. A lot of people, and, and here's, here's the thing. There, there are guys, and you're just, just throwing this out there, guys. There are some of us guys that if our favorite football team didn't show up to a game because they were slated to lose, we would crucify them. How dare they not show up to a game because, just because, you know, some sports commentator says the odds are, you know, whatever, a thousand to one they might win. Um, but at the same time, we won't show up to a marriage counseling session or do what it takes to talk with somebody about our marriage because we've already figured out it's not going to work. It's doomed. It's, there's, there's nothing that's going to save this. So we just don't show up. You know, maybe when it comes to, you know, the, the same little girl that when she was five years old, she came home and said, I don't want to do piano lessons anymore. I've been to at least three of them and I can't learn, I can't play the piano. And you, you tell, you, you, you tell your, your little girl, you can't quit. You got to keep, you got you to keep trying. You got to show up to the lessons. And, and that same girl ends up being 19 years old. And parents are saying, I just don't want to know where she is because it breaks my heart to think what may be happening. So I'm just not going to show up. It's funny how we change our minds. And the first thing you have to do, if you're going to experience victory over a bully in your life, you must, you must show up. And the, the thing that saddens me the most when I look at the numbers is that these guys, the guys in between these two groups, were the first ones to fall off God's radar screen. And that's what happens with us when we don't show up. There's that spirit of, I just don't want to know. I mean, in fact, just throwing this out there. There's folks out there that have a ton, maybe even in this room, you have a ton of consumer debt, ton of, ton of credit card debt, perhaps. And, and if we were to sit you down in a chair and, and, or, or sit somebody that you know in that circumstance down in a chair and say, look, I'm not asking you to rework your credit. I'm not asking you to figure out some you know, special way of paying it off. All I'm asking you is, with, an, with the debt that you have right now, please tell me what month of what year will you be done paying it off? And in a lot of cases, that person would say, I don't know and I don't want to know. It would be so depressing if I actually knew how long it would take me to actually pay it off. And so we don't, we mentally, we don't, we don't show up. And then those guys disqualified themselves. But now we get to the stage where God actually begins to do some tests to hone this group down. He begins to, to, to form the group that he really wants to be able to come with him. I want to read this verse. You starting Judges 7, starting in verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Say what? Gideon's got to be thinking, God, I know you haven't seen my board, God. 135,000, 32,000. And God's saying, you, you got too many. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. 
So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Now, I have a bright imagination. I'm thinking this was the point in time where Gideon was hoping for kind of a move of solidarity, right? You know, he gets up in front of the guys. Now, guys, 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 guys. God's, God wants me to tell you, you know, if you're scared, you can go home. I'm giving you the opportunity. Now, you know the situation. I'm going to turn my back, and, you know, if you want to leave, you can leave. And when I turn around, this will be my group, you know. He turns around hoping for a sign of solidarity, and all he hears is the sound of everybody leaving. Yeah, there's some sickening sounds in life. You know, the, the sound of your grandmother's china breaking on the kitchen floor is, is a sickening sound. The, the sound of your 16-year-old grinding the gears in your five-speed is a sickening sound. And the sound of 22,000 people walking away, I think, for Gideon had to be a sickening sound. You know, 32,000 minus 22,000 on this planet is 10,000. 10,000 guys left over. Odds 14 to 1. 13 to 1, 14 to 1. Oh, I got, you know, I try to think, what, how, do you, how do you classify this group of 22,000? I mean, it seemed really schizophrenic to me. They show up, you know, acting like they really want to be there, and then the next minute, they're gone. That doesn't make any sense. I'm trying to classify in my head what kind of people would do that. Who shows up and then leaves? And then why did they show up? Why did they, why did they even bother? You know, I think these guys showed up because they felt obligated to. You know, just like some of us show up when we're dealing with a problem in our life and there's some sort of possible solution, we show up. I mean, you got to at least go, right? I mean, you know, you're having trouble in your marriage. You got to go talk to the counselor. I mean, you got to at least try that, right? I mean, you know, you're, you're dealing with terrible sadness in your life and you have an opportunity to talk to someone who might be able to help you. I mean, you got to at least, at least go, right? Give it a shot. I think that's what, how these guys felt. Hey, Gideon's calling people. I mean, at least we got to try. At least we got to go. And here's the thing, though. This is how you classify these people. They were there, but they weren't there. They were there physically, but they weren't there emotionally. They showed up, but, but they had one foot there and one foot back home. And when God gave them a chance to get off the hook, they took it. In fact, I, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was, when I was thinking about this, this kind of person here, I was flying, I can't remember, either to Florida or back to Wichita when I was in college a lot of years ago. Um, and, and by the way, I love to fly. If I could fly every day of the week, I would. Get on airplanes, I just, I, it's, I love it. Um, and they asked me when I was checking in, they said, would you like to sit on an, on an emergency row? And uh, I said, well, yeah, absolutely. I love sitting on the emergency row because it's kind of like the bulkhead. There's a little extra, you know, leg room there. And so I'm, I'm always happy to take that opportunity. And, and uh, so I get on the plane, and, and, I, and I noticed as I was sitting down, I mean, you know how a nervous flyer is not very difficult to spot. I mean, I, you know, this guy was chewing on something, and his knee was bouncing, and, and he was sort of perspiring, and it was cool in the airplane. And so I'm thinking, you know, this guy's a very nervous flyer. And I thought, well, you know, this is, you know, I'll say something here in a few minutes and kind of break the ice and maybe it'll help him not be so nervous. And I started to say something. He sort of waved me off, though, because at that moment, the flight attendants were coming in to do their little show, you know. And, and this is actually the part of the airplane ride that I like to ignore because this is when the flight attendants, well-intentioned, come out and, and show me all the features of the airplane I'd rather not use. 
Um, you know, okay, so you got oxygen masks. We'll talk about it when the problem presents itself. Um, you know, use your seat as a flotation device. It sounds like a, a frightening prospect to me. And I try to try to not think about these sorts of things. But, you know, they were showing the seat belts in case you're not real familiar with that technology. And um, everybody was sort of... Uh, Everybody was, you know, everybody was sort of doing their thing. He was very intent on watching the instructions. And then after that, the flight attendant came over to our row and asked us, you know, the, 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 the obligatory question, you know, are you strong enough to help somebody get out of the, and I thought it was very embarrassing for me. She sort of was looking straight at me. Are you strong enough to help somebody out of this airplane? And, and, you know, so I was 19, unattached, a little cocky. And I looked at her and I said, well, I'm as strong as I am good looking. She said, that's what I'm afraid of. And, but... But uh, I, I think she figured between the two of us, we'd, we'd be able to help some people off the plane. And, and uh, so anyway, plane, plane took off, got in the air, and, and um, I thought, well, this is a great opportunity. I'll just say something to this guy. I said, you know, it's, I love being on the emergency row. There's extra leg room. I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked over at me and he said, I love being on the emergency row because if anything happens on this flight, I'm the first one out. You know, there's a lot of us in life that the things that we're fighting, we feel that way. I just want to be able to sit on the exit row. So if something happens, I'm gone. And you get in a fight with your spouse, you know, the D word comes up. Divorce. I mean, you use it. And the whole reason we use the divorce word, it may, we may not even be thinking about divorce, but the, the, the reason that we say divorce is because we're communicating to our spouse, hey, I know where the exit door is, and I'm sitting there, and if anything goes wrong enough, I'm the first one out of this airplane. But can I tell you in love that God always gives that person an opportunity to get off the plane before it takes off? That's what happened in this case. See, it's not enough just to show up. You have to sell out. You have to really want to, you have to be there physically and emotionally both. You have to completely be there. You can't just be there half. You've got to really be there. I mean, you, you say, Jonathan, put a, put a bracket around 22,000. Help me think about 22,000 people. Maybe you've been to the Interest Arena, a brand new, huge arena in town. Fill that Interest Arena up, capacity crowd, one time then empty it out and fill it up again halfway. And you have within a few hundred of the number of guys that walked away from Gideon. But see, God would rather work with the 10,000 who were all there than the 22,000 who were half there. Sometimes in life, you got to know where do your concrete loyalties lie? What are you concretely loyal to? There's a story that's been told by, by pastors for a long time, and I'm sure I'll get some details wrong, but let me tell you this story because I think it sort of illustrates this. Uh, kind of a missionary medical endeavor in a foreign country. Um, missionaries were trying to help people with the diseases and sicknesses they were going through in this different place. And there was some, some sort of blood disease that was going around. And it turned out that the best person, the best way to fight this disease was a blood transfusion from a person with the same blood type who had also previously had the disease because that other person would have developed an immunity to the, to the disease. And so a blood transfusion would allow that other person to, to hopefully recover. You have these two little kids, brother and sister, a little four-year-old girl, a six-year-old boy. The six-year-old boy had had this disease, but he'd gotten over it. The four-year-old girl contracted it very badly. And so the doctor said, well, the best, best thing we can do for this girl is, you know, her brother has the same blood type. We'll get him in here. We'll do a transfusion, and that'll be her best shot. 
But the language barrier was a little difficult um, to get over. And the, the nurses tried to explain to this little boy what it was he was going to be doing. And, and he agreed, and they brought him in. But the doctor was a little concerned. He had a little perplexed look on his face. doctor wanted to make sure he knew what he was doing. And so he, he sort of got down on his level and was speaking the language as best that he could. He said, now you know what I'm, what I'm asking you to do. We're asking you to give your blood to your sister, and, and we'll put you up on there. We'll do this procedure. Um, are, are you sure you want to do that? And he paused for a second. He said, yes. So they put him up on the gurney. They started the procedure. The whole time he looked over at his sister and was just grinning the whole time. But towards the end of the procedure, he got this perplexed look on his face again. And the doctor asked him why he was perplexed. And he said, doctor, when am I going to die? See, he thought he was giving all his blood to his sister. See, sometimes in life we have that moment when the doctor looks at us and says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give your blood to your sister. Are you sure that's what you want to do? And life will, will let us, we, we get an opportunity to get off the hook. We can get off the hook if we want to. By the way, we're living in the world of the no-fault divorce. If you want off the hook, can I tell you, you can get off the hook. You'll get the opportunity. There's no question about that. The question is, what are you concretely loyal to? What would you go to the mats for? And what are you absolutely 100% there for? What are you there for physically and emotionally? I think you got to give these guys props, right? The 10,000 guys who's left over, you got to at least give them props. I mean, not only are they present, they're loyal. You gave them an opportunity to leave, they said, no, I'm right here. And I think this is the interesting thing because I think this would represent a lot of us that are God followers. Not only, not only do we show up, but when people give us an opportunity to get out, we stick around. I think it would represent maybe a lot of people here at New Spring. This is, we're, we're sold out. We're, we show up, we're sold out. There's no question about it. But see, here's the thing. I think, you, you know, a lot of us would say, okay, God, what else could you want? But he still made one more cut. And this is the one that trips so many of us up. Let me read you what happened at this point. The Lord told Gideon there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, Divide the men into two groups. In one group put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. 10,000, forget that, 300. What is this all about? Let me tell you what happened. Gideon took these guys over to the water and said, okay, guys, time to get a drink. And uh, most of the guys did this. Most of the guys did this. They got down on their hands and knees, and they put their face down in the water to drink. Now, you tell me, is this a target or is this a target? Seriously. And, 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 and the rest of the guys, the, the, the 300, they put their hand down in the water and brought their hand up to their mouth and they were looking around the whole time they were getting a drink. God said, those are the guys I want. Those are the guys I want. Can I tell you this? I just want to make this real, real clear. The world of God followers is split between the targets and the watchers. You can't ever afford to be a target. It's not enough to show up. It's not enough to sell out. You have to stay sharp. You can't ever be a target. 
And that's, that's the thing. I think for these guys who ended up being targets, I honestly think they figured it was okay. And you know why? Because they weren't in the middle of a fight right then, right? It's okay to be a target as long as you're not in the middle of a fight. Problem is you never know when a fight's coming. I mean, Christian businessman, Christian businessman, sharp, intelligent, wise, he cares about God. He cares about his family. He loves his kids. He wouldn't do anything to hurt any of those people. He's on a business trip. He goes into a hotel room and he ends up being a target because he figures there's no fight right now, right? I can turn on the TV and flip some channels and surf the internet on the hotel connection. Why not? I don't need to, I don't need to be real careful right now because I'm not in the middle of a fight. It's okay, and, and it, some students may be in this room. You feel comfortable around other students, maybe. Some people that you've known for a long time, and, and you're comfortable in that peer group, and you're, you're, you're comfortable hanging with them, and you trust them. But the problem is, if you let your guard down, you never know at what point in time you might come under attack. You have to stay sharp. I want to read a verse to you out of Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily, and look at this, accurately. Not as unwise as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. Do you ever watch a bunch of guys maybe walking down a sidewalk, all of them just sort of kind of zoned out, walking, and somebody yells, look out! Everybody's trying to figure out what it is. And see, what what the Bible says is you can't afford to walk in your life doing this. God is the one who's yelling at you saying, look out. You got to be looking around. You got to be looking for what might be coming. You can never afford to get down on your hands and knees and expose yourself as a target. Because that's when Satan uses. I want to read this verse for you out of Ephesians. I know my time is short, but Ephesians 6, 9 says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Hey, the Bible's saying it's not a, a person bully that you're fighting against, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. You can never afford to be a target. Really quickly, my time is gone, but let me tell you what happened. I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version of what happened in this battle. Gideon splits the 300 group into, th- into three groups of 100. I mean, you want to talk about being a little scared. You managed to make it through all the cuts, you know, and when you showed up, there were 32, you know, almost 32,000 other guys there with you. Now it's just you and 299 other guys. You show up and Gideon says, I think we ought to split up, guys. It was a little scary. They split up into three groups of 100. They surround the camp, and the implements of war was a torch and a clay jar and a trumpet. Yeah, I'm feeling real confident at this point. And Gideon says, listen, when you hear me break my, my jar, they, he, he had him put the jar over the torch. He said, when you hear me break, break my jar, you break your jar, and you blow your trumpets. And what happened was they broke all at the same time. They broke their jars. They put their torches out. They blew their trumpets. They yelled really loud. And the enemy, God allowed the enemy to believe that those 300 guys that had surrounded the perimeter of the place represented a bunch more. They figured all they saw were a few of the torches. They figured out, they figured there was a whole bunch more behind them. And they were so confused that God allowed them to kill each other, trying to, you know, they were all confused and running around killing each other. They turned, the Bible says they turned their swords on each other by accident. These guys, they got to chase the enemy away, but God didn't even require them to go fight the enemy. They got to stand around and watch. They got to watch God fight their enemy for them. And that's what I want for you this morning. 
God isn't asking you, how brilliant are you? How much money do you have in your bank account? How strong are you? Do you meet the, the world's qualifications to be a strong fighter? He just wants to know, will you meet his qualifications? Will you show up? Will you sell out? Will you stay sharp? And then if you do those things, he'll fight the enemy for you. This is one of the enduring differences between Christianity and certain religions. There are certain religions that say that the way you follow God is to fight his battles for him. Christianity says the way you win your battles is to follow God. And that's what he wants for each of us this morning. The question is, if God will fight your battles for you, will you do what it takes to be able to come along? Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to talk about your grace, your love, your wisdom, and the way that you have planned it, that we would be able to see defeat of our, of our enemies, not because we're so bright and so smart and so talented, Father, but because you are willing to fight our battles for us. Thank you for that fact, Father. Help us to rest in you this morning. Would you keep praying with me for just one moment? It's possible in, this, in a room this size. You might have heard this message this morning. You might say, you know, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't I want that, though. I'm fighting battles I can't win, and, and, and I'm getting chased around, and I don't, have, I don't have God to appeal to because I don't have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want that. Can I tell you this morning that God wants a relationship with you? And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. It's, it's not because I came up with it or because it's, it's magic words or anything like that. It's just because if you, if you pray this prayer and you mean it from your heart, God will save you. Here are those words, and I'll, I'll, I'll say them slowly. Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I accept your gift of salvation. And I ask you to forgive me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me.